What's going on, Far Far Away family? Welcome to Star Wars in 10. So how's everyone doing this Thursday? It's been a pretty long week for me. I just pushed through last night's episode of Lightsay Radio, but I woke up this morning and I feel like hammered you know what. But I'm gonna try my best to get through today's episode, and I think the best way to do that is get straight to the story. And how do we do that? By dropping the intro. <laughs> The Huntress had already considered and discarded that idea. Same problem as the Force Pikes. You have to get in too close for them to be effective, and the Carbonite will only freeze them for a few minutes. What are we supposed to do when he thaws out? The Tango guns aren't any better, he countered. A lightsaber will slice through the webbing like it was made of flimsy. They aren't meant to hold him, Victorch explained. They only have to slow him down long enough for me to administer the Senflax. She held up a long, thin blade to illustrate her point. The edge was coated with the potent neurotoxin. According to the princess, any wound deep enough to draw blood would get the poison into his system. After the toxin is introduced, we'll have to keep the pressure on, she reminded the captain. If we even give him a chance to breathe, he'll recognize that the drug is in his system. He might have some way to counter it with the force. How long after you cut him before that stuff starts to take effect? 30, maybe 40 seconds. Assuming Sarah knows what she's talking about. That's a long time for a bunch of soldiers to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Sith. There really wasn't anything she could say to reassure him, so she didn't bother with an answer. Make sure your unit remembers that this is a two-stage attack, she told him. The first stage needs to distract him long enough to give me an opening. After that, hit him with everything we've got. Can you really see the future? The captain asked after passing on her instructions to the team. Sometimes, the future is always in motion. It's not always clear. Are we going to get out of this alive? Some of us might, she replied, not mentioning the vision she had of Jeddah's broken body lying lifeless on the mansion's marble floor. When Bane returned to Seutric, he was surprised to find Xana's ship still gone. But he was grateful that she wouldn't be waiting for him back at the mansion. He was in no shape to do battle with her now. He was even too tired to come up with a lie to explain his absence without raising her suspicions. Yet as his airspeeder approached his mansion on the horizon, he knew that even if Xana had been waiting for him, his journey would still have been worthwhile. Andedu's knowledge was his now. Over the past few days, his brain had processed the raw information he had stolen to the point of full comprehension. He fully understood the ritual of essence transfer. He had learned the techniques that would allow him to move his consciousness from his own failing body into another. He just needed to select an appropriate victim. Finding a new body to inhabit was the most difficult part of the ritual. He needed someone physically strong enough to withstand the massive quantities of dark side energy he would call on over the coming years, but at the same time, he needed someone mentally vulnerable enough for him to overpower their will. The best candidate would be an engineered clone body, an empty shell with no thoughts or identity of its own. But creating a suitable clone could take years, and Bane wasn't convinced he had that much time left. He would have to try to possess the body of a living victim, a very dangerous course of action. He would only have one chance. No matter the outcome, 
his own body would be destroyed in the process. And if his target possessed a will strong enough to resist his assault, the attempt would fail, banishing his spirit to the void for all eternity. He brought the airspeeder in for a landing and climbed from the vehicle, pausing only to grab his travel pack, a simple duffel bag with the holocron tucked safely away inside. With slow, heavy steps, he approached the front door of the mansion. Has to be someone young, under 30. He opened the door and stepped inside, letting it swing shut behind him. Naive and inexperienced. Maybe. He froze. Someone else was in the mansion. He could feel the intruders everywhere. Hiding around corners in the hallways, crouched on the stairs, ducking behind the furniture, perched on the balcony above. All this flashed through Bane's mind in less than a tenth of a second. Just enough time for it to register before the sonic detonators on either side of him went off. Their ear-splitting shriek staggered Bane, causing him to stumble forward into the room and away from the door in possible escape. His hands instinctively flew up and clutched at his ears, his travel pack dropping to the floor. And then, the enemy fell upon him. They poured out like a swarm of insects, bursting into view from every side. Four soldiers armed with stun rifles sent a barrage of bolts raining down from the balcony. Bane, still reeling from the sonic detonators, barely had enough time to throw up a protective barrier to shield him from the assault. As he did so, he felt something fighting him. Some power was trying to block his ability to call upon the force to shield himself. It wasn't strong enough to stop him, but it did hinder his efforts just enough so that a flicker of energy passed through the barrier. His muscles seized as he was hit. His back arched, and his arms and head were thrown back. Every nerve in Bane's body lit up as if it were on fire. The pain lasted only an instant, but it was enough to knock him to the floor in a crumpled heap. He didn't stay down, however. He sprang back to his feet, simultaneously drawing his lightsaber with his right hand as he sent a blast of lightning up from the fingertips of his left. The violet bolts should have incinerated all four of his targets on the balcony, yet again, the strange power interfering with his ability to draw upon the Force hindered his efforts. Three of the victims were electrocuted, dying before they even had a chance to scream. The fourth, however, managed to throw herself back from the balcony's edge, evading the deadly attack. Bane never got a chance to finish her off. A pair of soldiers emerged from a hallway on the left, and three more appeared from the hall on the right. They opened fire with tangle guns, sending out long streams of sticky synthetic webbing. The soldiers were smart. They coordinated their efforts. Two fired at his feet, looking to glue him to the floor. The others aimed for the chest and torso, looking to pin his arms to his sides with the viscous strings. But Bane wasn't about to let himself become immobilized. Leaping up, he grabbed onto the chandelier hanging from the ceiling, holding himself with his free hand. Swinging his legs to build momentum, he launched himself up over the railing and onto the balcony, giving him the advantage of higher ground. He came down with a heavy thud, the inexplicable power that still impeded his connection to the Force, robbing him of a graceful landing. The bodies of the three dead soldiers were scattered about him. To his right were the stairs, leading back down to the foyer. Straight ahead was a long hall, leading to another wing of the mansion. A female Itochi stood at the far end of the hall, a long, thin knife held in each hand. She grinned at Bane, and in that moment he knew who was interfering with his ability to use the Force. She broke into a run, charging down the hall toward him. Bane dropped into a fighting crouch to meet her attack, knowing her knives were no match for his lightsaber. <laughs> 
It was only then that he noticed the flash grenades lying by the dead bodies at his feet. They exploded with a burst of intense light and chemical smoke that blinded Bane. Disoriented, he fell back against the balcony's railing. Well, this was a great part to the story. It had a little bit of everything. Some good information, some action. You know me, the action is my favorite part. We know that the Hunters and her team has already set up in Bane's house. They lie in wait to ambush upon his return, which could be at any moment. Bane, oblivious to what is about to happen, he is caught up in his thoughts, contemplating the ritual of essence transfer. Plus, he is extremely tired from his journey. This is when he enters the house. The force alerts him of the hunters and her team, but it is too late. Two sonic detonators go off right next to him. This is when they strike. Bane tries to throw up a force barrier to protect himself, but the hunters already started using her power to block his. This allows a stun bolt to penetrate the force barrier and hit him, stunning him for a quick moment. But Bane is very strong in the dark side. He sprung back to his feet, shooting some force lightning at the balcony, but it didn't have the effect that it was supposed to because of the Huntress's force blocking power. Something that I gotta point out, even Bane knew the power of high ground. Swinging up to the balcony, someone should have taught this to Anakin. This is where Bane notices the Itachi, and this is also where this part came to an end. Join us tomorrow for the next part. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Intent. Tune in next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on all major podcast directories. If you enjoyed the show, we would really appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Star Wars in 10 was created by Keen Eye Shed and is distributed by Swaycast Network. This show was produced by Pigfield Media, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Leslie Schneider. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.